Chapter 2 Antony told his father all about it over supper. For once he had something to talk about. They usually ate in near silence. When his father was home, they ate together in the dining room at one end of a vast mahogany table that seated forty. It was too big to move out and had obviously been built on site. It was hideous, but neither Antony nor his father had ever really noticed. They ate at the end nearest the door that led, after a long walk, to the kitchen. Mr. Sopwith wasn't there, but we had a great time. They showed us all sorts, and I was allowed to drive one. Roll it, they say, just along the ground, not taking off. It's how you learn. They're quite hard to control. Strange. I signed up for lessons, so I can fly at home when I've decided which one to have. If I have lessons, I can try them all, see what's best. Very good. Mr. Sylvester was surprised at his son's sense for once, having half expected to find an airplane sitting on the drive when he came home. They had an uneasy relationship, neither quite sure what to make of the other. They did not meet very often, and there was no third party to ease the contact, no jolly wife or quarrelling siblings. Claude Sylvester's wife had died, quite suddenly, soon after they had moved to Lockwood. She had been excited about the vast prospect of turning the echoing rooms into a comfortable home, but perhaps the whole thing had been too much for her, for she died of a heart attack immediately after a meeting with a firm of interior designers who came down from London, and exclaimed in horror at the task that faced them. She had made a pretty flat upstairs for Helena, a prime consideration, but that was all she had managed. Antony had been eight when his mother died, and Helena four years older. He had already learned at that early age to live his own life, as his mother, not unnaturally, was almost totally taken up with Helena. How could it be otherwise? Antony accepted the situation without rancor, but tended to avoid seeing too much of Helena. The atmosphere up in her quarters was not to his taste, and he found it hard to please her, foundering in his own inadequacy to understand what on earth it was she was saying, or trying to say, or what she wanted. She laughed a lot, and he thought she mocked him. He was sorry for her, of course, not to be able to see or hear. How did she imagine the world, he wondered, not ever having seen it? His friends were always nosy about her, dying to meet her. He had been in the habit of bringing his Eton friends home in the holidays to stay, but none of them had ever wanted to come twice after they had found themselves banned from who they called the freak upstairs and only just managing to survive the discomfort of life in Lockwood Hall. Antony stopped asking them, but at the back of his mind he had always harboured the idea of a huge midsummer party by the lake, using the amazing grotto as a base. That would be quite something, especially if he got an airplane. That would impress them. They would come then. The grotto was amazing, built a century ago by the master of the original Lockwood Hall, a very beautiful Queen Anne mansion that had been brutally destroyed to make way for the present monstrosity. Old engravings of the original house were displayed in the corridors, but were hard to make out in the ill-lit passages. The new house was entirely panelled in dark oak, impressively expensive, but also impressively gloomy.
Cozy was a word that did not spring to the tongue. Many of the servants gave in their notice quite soon, especially in the winter, when the great boilers in the cellar struggled to keep the chill out of the huge rooms. Anthony was used to it, but was always surprised that his father seemed fond of the place and never considered moving. It must have sad memories for him, his wife dying so soon after they had moved in. But Mr. Sylvester was neither a sentimental nor sensitive man. Anthony wondered sometimes if he took after him. He rather hoped not, for his father was not much liked, he noticed, not one to spread bonhomie and delight. He spoke little, rarely smiled. He was not imposing to look at, only of average height and build, with fading, disappearing brown hair, severely trimmed, and a large, dark moustache that hid most of his lower face. He wore dark suits.